The Choose Love movement offers no-cost solutions that keep our kids safe, providing them with the skills and tools they need to flourish. Join us in our mission to create the world we want to live in, one that's connected and compassionate. Check us out at chooselovemovement.org. Together, we can choose love. Hello, my name is Scarlett Lewis, and I'm the founder of the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Movement. And I am so happy today to have Stephanie Sinke with us. She is the founder and director of the Newtown Resiliency Center, and we're going to learn all about that and even more exciting how that uh, foundation can help other communities in crisis across America and the globe. Thanks for joining us, Stephanie. Thanks for having me, Scarlett. Well, so would you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Absolutely. As Scarlett said, my name is Stephanie. I am a mother of two children. I lived in Sandy Hook at the time of the school shooting there. At that time, I was a social worker advocating in the prison system for the public defender's office in the state of Connecticut and felt really compelled to do something in my own community where I lived. So shortly after, I was sitting around thinking, my friends are struggling, my community's struggling, how can I help, what can I do? So I rallied some friends, reached out to some organizations who had responded to other tragedies, nothing like what we had experienced in Newtown, but mass tragedies and said, I'm gonna open a center, a place where people can gather and heal and be together. And then shortly after opened the Resiliency Center of Newtown. So there was no roadway, no map following the Sandy Hook tragedy. There was nothing else that you could follow. You had to create all this on your own. No, fortunately, there hadn't been anything like this. Unfortunately, had to really create something. Um, and with that came a lot of lessons that our community had to learn. So, so um, and this resiliency center is still going 10 years later, which is pretty amazing. I mean, if you think about it, I don't know if that was your original plan when you opened it, did you have an opening and closing date? Did you think that you would be needed for that long? So when I opened, I really didn't know what to anticipate, didn't know if people would come to the center, really was doing it out of the goodness of my heart, very grassroots, very organic. As we know, many nonprofits don't succeed after the first year or two. Um, but when we set the mission forward, our idea was if successful, we would like to sunset around the 10 year mark. So I'm very happy that we were able to sustain and make it there. So can you tell everyone what you offered at the Resiliency Center? What kind of therapies and, and, and help for the community, how you came across these different modalities? Because they're not uh, maybe things that everyone has heard of. I personally have gone to the Resiliency Center uh, and I am a frequent customer whenever you have MNRI. Uh, my favorites were brain spotting. And, uh, and so, and I've actually had a massage too there. 
So um, I think for me, it's been an important source of healing, but I bet that a lot of people listening have never heard of those modalities and would be interesting to interested to know like how you got the different things that you did, why you brought them in, what the research is behind them. Just curious what all the center offers. So music and art ther therapy were our standing therapies when we opened, again, going and play therapy, creative, non-traditional art therapies. We were trying to really not be duplicative of any services offered in town because we did have a wealth of resources in town and not to step on anybody's toes as a new organization coming. We had a lot of organizations and people who were already providing therapies. We also knew that trauma, especially with young kids and with adults too, but with children, talk therapy wasn't going to work. So how could we really get to the need and help our population with what they just experienced? So art and music therapists had already responded to our community. So we were able to find them a home in the Resiliency Center and bring them on board, which was great. And then through doing some research and people like you who had experienced MNRI saying, you know what, I found this modality. It is non-traditional. It worked for me. Are you willing to have it at the resiliency center? And I always felt as the executive director and as a therapist, I'm here to guide people and empower people and give you tools in your toolbox. It's not for me to decide what is going to heal you and work for you. And MNRI and brain spotting ended up being one of the top two extremely beneficial modalities for people. Unfortunately, those are not as common. So we had to bring them in and they were basically on a quarterly basis. We were able to get some therapists locally trained in brain spotting over time through grant which was great. So we do have some local clinicians now trained in brain spotting, which has been very helpful. So let's just say really quickly what brain spotting and MNRI are. Do you, I mean, I've, I've had the therapies and I, I get, I get brain spotting and MNRI when they're offered through the resiliency center every time, uh, especially with David Grand and Shannon Desolets. In fact, that's how I met Shannon at the Resiliency Center. Actually, that's not true. I met her before the Resiliency Center because they had come in and uh, and so, and and I had, you know, I'm the type of person that just wants to try everything to see what works for me. And then it was just amazing how these alternative therapies, as you said, I thought in my head, because of course I had a 12 year old surviving son, what would work for him? And these therapies are, are easy, Easy because, you know, MNRI is just lying on the table and touching on points that mm -hmm. directly correlate with your amygdala, that tell your amygdala that uh, that's your fear center in your brain that gets triggered and, and where trauma lies. It's telling that amygdala that you are safe. And so it's reducing the um, biological effects of trauma that is MNRI. And then brain spotting is literally, I, I describe it as EMDR on steroids. So EMDR is rapid eye movement desensitization. Right. So it's 
Uh, if, if anybody has ever seen anybody uh, or a therapist with either a finger or an implement moving back and forth across the eyes, you're supposed to follow that. And that is supposed to trigger something in the brain to help pull out your trauma and move through it and release it. And then David Grand, Dr. David Grand, who created Brain Spotting, saw, saw that when he was doing EMDR that your pupil would flicker at a certain point and every time the implement went past a certain point the the um I would flicker and that flicker told David that that was where the trauma was in the brain and they have backed this up these are evidence-based therapies and I would say they're no longer new but still not not really out there uh, as they should be because I think those were two of the most effective therapies and the Resiliency Center helped me get those, have access to those therapies for now 10 years. And I really credit that with a lot of my healing. And uh, and how, how was it so... Did you guys offer anything other than that? Yeah, I know you offered a few other things. So we also did that weren't particular therapies, but really believe that engagement events were really important, especially for first um, responders, bringing people together, building relationships in the beginning. So when people, relationships heal people. So when we could bring first responders together, bringing them to sporting events, they would come together and then over time, they would become familiar with the center, with who we were. And so when the need happened, they would feel more comfortable with, you know what, we're in crisis, we need some help. You know, we trust you and building that trust, especially in those most vulnerable, hard to reach populations. We also did day camps and sleepaway camps for the children impacted. We started with a day camp, basically, you know, kids lost their innocence that day in the woods, no electronics, just allowing kids to be kids and parents to be parents in a safe environment. Parents getting to know us, kids getting to feel safe again locally. Did that for a few years. Once we built that trust, we were able to bring them to a sleepaway camp for five days. Again, no electronics. That was probably our most successful event. Kids still talk about it in high school, how it impacted their lives. We had sort of kids who lost loved ones on 9-11 volunteer as their counselors. Mm. And that bond was something that those kids will never forget. Um, and really allowing kids to be kids and living through that because parents, rightfully so, weren't so easy to let their kids do things anymore because they had fears. And some of that was very reasonable. So we were able to work through that and again, build the trust in the community and make sure there were right safety and security at the camp and take them away. And again, we did that for several years and we always had a wait list on our sleepaway camp. That's amazing. And, and I can validate that as the parent of a surviving sibling. Um, he, he was in middle school in lockdown in seventh grade, but he came to the firehouse and waited with me while we waited all day to see if Jesse was coming back dead or alive. And so he, I mean, it was the worst day of our lives, obviously. And so after that, you definitely want to bubble wrap your surviving kids 
you couldn't control what happened to the child that died in whatever manner, but especially during a school shooting. And so you kind of overprotect probably the, uh, the, the surviving siblings. And I know that I did that with JT. I actually describe it as bubble wrapping him. <laughs> and absolutely. And, yeah. A normal so, response. Yes. And of course we know that as much as we protect our kids, we can't keep them from feeling pain physically, mentally, and emotionally, because that is part of the human experience. And so it's, I, I, I hadn't realized like the relationship aspect of the resiliency center. And that is really important. Yes. And we were fortunate that everyone was localized and it was an event where people were spread all over the country or world. So it's easier to have a center where people could come together. It's not as easy as in other events where people are not all in the same geographic area. And you were saying that first responders and children kind of a little bit more difficult to reach population. One, because first responders are heroes. They're the ones that take care of other people and they have this, um, some of them, kind of this feeling like they should be taking care of people and people shouldn't be taking care of them. And so um, there, I've, I've known some of the first responders that attended to Sandy Hook and, um, you know, everyone needed therapy that, that after that day. And a lot of them didn't get it until five and some even 10 years later. Correct. Yeah. And then the kids, you were, no, you were talking about talk therapy and talk therapies never worked for JT. And so, you know, really important just to realize that talk therapy can be helpful, but most of the time kids don't have the emotional vocabulary to discuss what they've seen or they can't. And it's so interesting to me, as I go through this journey of the last 10 years, I realized that adults might not either, right. Right. <laughs> you know? So, so to sit there and talk about how you're feeling and, uh, you know, take advice, that is, that's a difficult thing. But if you can go in and draw or, or lay on a table and have someone that is focusing on different reflection points on your body that react physically when you're in trauma, like your shoulders come forward because you're protecting your vital organs and MNRI can come in and send signals to your brain here that, hey, you don't, you don't have to be all crunched up like that. You can, you can relax because you're safe. And it is, you know, there's, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. That's my favorite kind of therapy. <laughs> right. right. And that's why it was so important for the kids. The music, art, and play therapy were such a success. And for both the kids and adults, you know, EMDR, brain spotting, MNRI, or trauma gets stored in our subconscious. So sometimes we, 12, 14, yes, you can articulate that event. But a lot of times, especially as adults, and our suitcase gets more filled and not so packed neatly, we don't know what our trauma is. 
and it's harder to even articulate it. And it's so stuffed down there in our subconscious that I've had people come out of brain spotting who came in thinking it was related to the shooting and come out and they're like, wow, it ended up being something from when I was 12 years old. Mm. That's pretty powerful. That's really powerful. And it was described to me early on trauma as being like an onion. So you have a trauma and literally your brain will encapsulate it and close it off because you need to keep moving and progressing in your life. And so then you have another trauma and it's just like a reverse onion. It's growing on top of one another. And then you have a trauma in a town like the Sandy Hook school shooting. And you may not even have a child in the school, but you are triggered, your onion opens, and then all of these traumas are exposed vicariously through a trauma that happened in and around you, but didn't even affect you directly. Have you seen people like that coming to the center? Absolutely. And I will say personally, my daughter's one of those. And granted, she's lived a life with a mother who's very invested in this work, but she wasn't there. She was in lockdown at a school next door, but she has terrible anxiety in schools and, and at a very small private school now. But she's lived through a life where she hears it, is a, mom works in it, has met many of the families who lost loved ones, is a huge empath. And that's a hard thing for kids to understand. And then you leave Newtown and you go to other schools or other areas and people mention it or they have intruder drills and kids are laughing and they think it's a joke. But even if you, you weren't in Sandy Hook School but you were in that town and you realize kids, innocent kids were lost that day, you realize it's not a joke. And we have this world where kids have become desensitized and are not as empathetic and for my kids, that's really hard now outside of Newtown, understanding like you have these drills and you guys are laughing. It's not funny when innocent kids die because these things do happen and they can happen no matter where you are. That's something that I don't think people understand enough, the vicarious no. nature of a tragedy. So, you know, my son was in lockdown in seventh grade and you don't know what's happening. You're terrified. And, you know, any lockdown is, is terrifying. And, uh, and, and that trauma can be long lasting. And I even think, and what do you think about this? I mean, uh, kids know what's going on. They know about school shootings. I know there were were a, a faction of parents in Newtown that were like, I don't want my kids to know, you know, they're, uh, they're, you know, I don't want them to be traumatized. And, uh, but the interesting thing is they were talking about it on the bus. And, and so kids were finding out their parents weren't talking about it at home, but the kids were talking about it and there was this huge disconnect. But I think that that was 10 years ago. But now that we've had, now that school shootings are normal in America, I mean, they just, we know they're going to happen. We expect them and we go back to, I mean, they, they don't even, 
you know, really, uh, really barely hit the news, barely hit the news. There's really not much of an outrage and the outrage, if there is any is shorter and shorter each time. Um, and I don't think that people realize they, they, um, probably think like I did, by the way, uh, 10 years in a day, uh, before the tragedy <laughs> that it would never happen to me. And I did feel empathy, but also it would never, it, it's not going to impact me. And the thing is, it happens so regularly and so randomly and everywhere that it does impact everyone in a traumatic way. Kids are thinking about it in elementary school. I just had a fourth grade class Skype with me. They're doing a project. This is part of their class on school safety. And they wanted to know my ideas because they were doing a report on it. And I said, okay, well, my idea is to address the root cause and to reduce, you know, the grievance end of the pathway to violence that can end in an attack. It starts with a grievance, escalates up. My idea was to address the grievance end, to give kids the skills and tools they need to manage that pain within them so that they can grow through it and not be taken down by it and take others out by it. Now that I've told you, what do you think? And the, this fourth grade class said what you said, Stephanie. Um, I really wish that there would be a video that we could show that would make my classmates take this seriously because they think it's a joke. And the other thing that they said was uh, they wanted security guards. They said, I don't know why middle and high school get security guards and we don't, but we need them here too. And it's so funny there again, parents sometimes get in the way because, you know, it's the parents saying, well, the kids are going to be scared if somebody's there with a gun and, you know, we don't want to live in that world, but, you know, you live in a world where they have Alice training, which is active right. shooter training for somebody coming in to shoot. And so if you have that, you've got to have the other side and say, hey, we're getting you ready, but we're also there to protect you. We're doing everything in our power. And by the way, that includes having an essential life skills program to address the grievance end so that suffering doesn't escalate into an attack. Okay. Right. <laughs> yes. And, and I know that you agree with that. Um, but so really important to have that center, mm -hmm. I think, in these communities where there is vicarious trauma and where everyone is impacted. Uh, interestingly enough, and I don't think enough attention is, is given to that global impact. You think about all oh, those poor families and then maybe the poor kids in the schools, but really that trauma extends to, to everyone now, I'm saying. because and survivor's guilt. Survivor's I mean, even guilt recently too. at the 10 year, when people are coming in, you know, we always give most impacted, always gets the appointments first and then we'll call, well, somebody else needs it more than me. We still hear that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Survivor guilt. Yet yeah, 10 years later. If someone else needs it more than me, yeah. your life's falling apart. You know, what's the cost? But we live in this world, right? Of who deserves what? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's interesting. So I know I get a lot of questions like, how is Newtown doing? And I have my version of that, but you know, you run the resiliency center. How would you say now Newtown is doing 10 years out? 
Yeah, I, I always say, I think overall, the community rallied and came together. I think it's a very hard predictor of success now because we ended up with a global pandemic and we have a nationwide mental health crisis. Mm-hmm. So yeah, our failure to launch kids going off to college and returning is happening. Is mm-hmm. that a predictor of kids because they came from Sandy Hook in Newtown? I don't know now mm-hmm. because we had so many other things. So unfortunately, our kids in our town, right, had a school shooting. We've had a global pandemic. We have a national mental health crisis. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of things going on. I would say, I think we struggle with teaching our kids adversity mm-hmm. and how to bounce back. Mm-hmm. In, and again, globally, when no matter where I talk, it's about academics, your mm-hmm. school grade, though all the research shows, if we can teach our kids resilience, can teach our kids grit, the academic piece will fall in line, but everyone still focuses on get the A, get the A, get the A. But meanwhile, we do know kids cannot overcome adversity like they used to. And we do know our numbers of depression, suicidal ideation, anxiety are going up and up every year. There is no decline. Even when you go into secondary college, colleges have gone up in the last four years. So what are we doing? Yeah, we're not prioritizing the right things because when you have the resilience, when you have the social emotional competence, then the grades come (laughs) a lot easier. But I think think one of the things we've forgotten is that resilience comes through going through hard times. (laughs) And uh, and so I think- If you taught the skills. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really important to have those skills, but another way, and equally as important, is actually you know go having being successful and going through that challenging time, having the courage to face the difficulty in your life instead of resisting and avoiding or numbing it, but actually going through it is a way to strengthen. It's why those difficulties are there. And we are hardwired to grow through difficulty. And so, well, you know, the thing is, we don't have to worry about that because kids are facing difficulty right now. And we would rather not that not happen, but it's true. And and they will, and it will get worse before it gets better, unfortunately. Um, I wanted to ask you, so you had planned on 10 years, And so you're at the 10-year mark. So I know that you have this really exciting app planned, and I would like to hear the plans for the Resiliency Center going forward, but also I'd like to delve into this app because this app can help every community that's going through a hard time or, or, or even, you know, planning to, uh, to, to lay the groundwork so that they so that they're ready if something happens, or even as you said, growing the resilience, this app will help do that. So like I mentioned earlier, the idea was always close the resiliency center when we opened to get the kids off to college or gainful employment. So we're there, you know, it's bittersweet, but we hope that we've done a good job and that most of our Clients can go on and are leaving Newtown. 
those who are staying, get them to other providers within the community. In the meantime, I wear many hats, a Boston bombing survivor. Obviously the Boston bombing happened shortly after I opened the center, reached out to me and we got in touch. He had brought, and brought down some people who tried to open a resiliency center in Boston. That opened, that did not um, stay open for very long, but we remained friends and wrote some grants together about having a virtual center they got turned down and then COVID happened. And this idea of virtual life, like we're doing right now, became a norm. Mm -hmm. And Homeland Security said, you know what, this is kind of a good idea as well as some other organizations. So we were able to create an app dealing with four pillars really, prevention, education, resilience, and connection. And I really focus on the resilience and education side and connection, but the idea is things happen and people are all over the world. You look at, I take the Vegas shooting. You know, we had a woman who lived locally in the Fairfield County area who reached out to the center because she was there and nobody could help her locally in Fairfield mm -hmm. County. And she's like, what do I do? Someone sent me to you guys because you're the only ones who know anything about people who are impacted by a shooting. And you know, I don't live in Vegas. I can't use their resources out there and talking to similar people who've experienced similar things. That peer-to-peer -peer connection piece is huge. So the app will be able to do that. So we'll be able to connect people who have had similar experiences through a private secured section, no matter where they are. Obviously, there'll be an admin. There'll be a resilience tab. And in there will be, I basically say it's going to be a library. So instead of being able to Google what's brain spotting, what's EMDR, how do I talk to my kids about a school shooting, it will all be on the app in that section so people can go to one shop instead of getting into the online world and get sent all over the place. Mm -hmm. The education section, people will be able to go on and find organizations like yourself that do great things for schools. And again, they can look, see what's out there, see what fits their needs, and then contact you and say, you know what, I like your program, I wanna hear more about it. Mm -hmm. And then the prevention side of what are practitioners are out there through the McCain Institute, who can help um, with prevention, and hopefully we're gonna also narrow it down so you'll ideally, next version, be able to put in your zip code and we'll be able to tell you practitioners right in your geographical area. And again, the idea is, so no matter where you are, you'll be able to find help in your area without people getting lost on the web. Yeah, that's amazing because it's about this. It's about tragedy and trauma, and it's about someone who has lived this for a decade and your experiences including mistakes and what worked, what didn't work, you know, everything that happened in that last 10 years, this app would be a culmination of that. And so basically the biggest and the best things that are available to, from beginning to end, from, from before and laying the groundwork for resilience and having this not happen, which Choose Love would be a part of that, to uh, what what to do post uh, post uh, tra tragedy, and uh, of course, choose love is part of that too. But um, but 
people would be able to go to this app and have all that information. It's just really a wealth of knowledge. And I think it's an incredible resource and there's nothing else like it out there that I know of. Yeah, not at this time, there's nothing out there and it will be in all different languages. So if you're Spanish, whatever phone, your um, language your phone's in, it will default to that language, wow. which is great. Um, Yammer goes in many different languages as well. So that won't be an issue if you want to connect with someone in a different language and it will translate. And again, it's really just so people can have one central location and get all everything they need. And I, we say it's like kind of a mall or an apartment building and then there's all these little tenants inside there or shops inside there. We're just a platform to provide all these great resources and organizations that are out there and then people can decide what they need. So what is that called? Resilience Net. Resilience Net. So if we went on the App Store, yeah, or Samsung and it's free. Okay. You can download it. Okay. That's very cool. And is that, so it's available now? Yes, it is. And it's going to be updated soon, but you'll just when it gets updated, you'll be able to hit it will update version and it will give you an update. Okay. That's really amazing. I mean, so, so you, so where, what's going on with you now? What are your plans? You were the executive director of the Resiliency Center. Now you're doing this app. Is that what your Stephanie Cinque is going to be doing for the next 10 years? So the app is a project that I've been working on with Dave part-time. Um, I also do some schoolwork in Florida. So I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing next come the end of June. So I'm excited for my next venture, hopefully staying in this role of some capacity of helping communities across the country of response, prevention, opening centers. Unfortunately, when I opened the center, I didn't think there'd be the most school shootings yet this year that we've ever had. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Are you um, saying 2023? Just we've seen an increase every every year. We're okay. seeing an increase. You know, when okay. I opened 10 years ago, I was hoping this was going to be nothing, right? I right. responded to our community, um, but now- An anomaly. Correct. Um, so, you know, sharing lessons learned with other communities and what that's going to look like, I'm still figuring out, so. Yeah, uh, amazing. Um, you have- some very unique and incredible knowledge. And unfortunately, other people can really use that. And so is there anything that I haven't asked or covered that you want our listeners to know? Um, no, I think it's, you know, your work's great. I think it's important to keep educating people on the work of you know, educating our young kids on empathy and kindness and love so we don't end up where we are right now, meaning people like me to help communities, you to share your story with people who've lost loved ones because they were killed in schools. Mm -hmm. We got to start moving the needle. We got to do better for our kids in our future of America because it's really getting very sad. I completely agree. And we are on the right track. 
<laughs> what what we're what we've created we're on the right track so i encourage everybody to go check out the app and of course check out the choose love movement.org we have no cost comprehensive lifespan solutions that address the the root cause of these escalating diseases of despair and we can reduce and prevent the suffering before it starts so get on the choose love train check out this resilience app and so stephanie what i like to ask kind of as we um culminate this uh we have this really powerful formula it's courage starts with courage plus gratitude plus forgiveness plus mm -hmm. compassion in action equals choosing love and i think that you have displayed and practiced all of them while creating the resiliency center but i'm wondering which one resonates with you right now in your life and how do you practice it during the day so i think right now gratitude um, I'm really grateful for all the opportunities I've had. There have been certainly been a lot of challenges over the last 10 years of my life, but I'm grateful for the lessons I've learned personally and professionally and grateful for the people I've met through horrific tragedies and loss have come some beautiful friendships. Um, and grateful for the opportunities that I'm going to have for what's next in my life. Well, I'm grateful for you and everything that you've created. And I look forward to staying connected and loving and supporting your efforts in any way that I can. So thank you for joining us on the Choose Love podcast. And thanks everyone for listening. Thanks everyone for choosing love and keep doing it because the world needs it. And, uh, and we're responsible for what we leave for our kids. And we want to leave this world better than when we found it. And we can <laughs> love yes, connects, can. fear divides. So choose love and thank you.